I'm Vigo Blumquist. And I'm Anoy Padar. And this is Dorm Stories. I know I'm not the only person feeling that way, and I feel like there's so much more that could be done, and it, it ha- takes a lot. It takes a toll on you. This week we're talking about mental health, and we want to address how do you get people who, with these kinds of problems into the conversation. First, we have Angel, who is a freshman in C's, to talk about her experience, and then we have Prem, who is the Columbia College Class of 2021 president as well as a member of the Mental Health Task Force. And we're also going to start introducing uh, music and performances from student groups on campus. So if you're interested, please send us an email at cudormstories at gmail.com. You can look at it in our description. Angel recently participated in a town hall that the Mental Health Task Force put on, and that's where we met her. And so here she is. Okay, hi. Um, I'm Angel Njaku. I'm a freshman in Columbia Seas, um, considering maybe studying in industrial engineering. Um, I'm also an artist and I sell my artwork. What it took to get here was, well, for anyone, a lot of hard work. Um, I remember my senior year of high school, it was really stressful for me. I think it was one of my like worst years. And um, just like the whole, I was starting a new job, uh, I was a senior now, I was still taking a lot of AP classes, college applications, scholarship applications, and I applied to a lot of schools because I just wasn't sure of myself. So um, I had like over, I had like almost, I planned to apply to like 20 schools and as time went along, this just started. I just started cutting schools off. But um, I remember visiting Columbia my junior year of high school and I had a, when I came here, it was like during April, so it was rainy. But when I came to Columbia, while it was still a little like rainy, it was when I did my tour, I like I loved it here and I remember loving it so much. But um I was focused on other things and I pushed it to the back of my my mind. I still applied and like when I got in, I remember I was so happy and it was just like the most amazing thing to happen to me. I remember I posted the video on Twitter and it actually sort of like started circulating a little bit. So I mean, you could probably still find that somewhere. I'm just me like screaming at my dad <laughs> and like almost crying. Um, but yeah, like so that's my story, <laughs> I guess. And so then, what's going on now? You know, why did you come to the mental health task force? Um, I saw the Facebook post in the um, the like 2022 Facebook chat thing, and I was like, oh, I was watching it. I was like, this seems interesting, and um, it's like the beginning of midterm season at this point. And um, I was just like, this is like really calling to me and the what they were speaking about, uh, about how um, mental health here and like the stress culture here and how horrible it was. And I just like that um, was something that like, I really related to. And I started off by like because um, they said you could ask questions during the um, during like the live recording. So I was typing in a question and like I I typed this long rant. And it was just like how I was feeling. I was like, I, I'm not feeling like I'm getting a bang for my buck. I'm paying a lot of money to be at the school like everybody else. And it doesn't feel like it's paying off. And like, why am I so stressed? Like, it just just doesn't feel right. Like, something feels off. And I just had this long rant. And I still, I sent it in, but I was like, I felt like it wasn't enough. So I was like, I'm just going to pull up. So I pulled up to the, like, to the physical um, 
mental health like talk in the room and I guess I came at the time when everybody had like already read my message and I didn't realize it so I had ranted again and it was just like what I've noticed here is just that as a freshman the school is, is like it's it feels like you're it's just, they assume that you already have prior knowledge about everything almost and I'm taking a lot of intro level courses but they don't feel like intro level courses like physics and chemistry and econ all classes I've taken in high school at the AP level or like a community college that they won't give me credit for and um and I'm still like struggling just to get by and I'm just wondering like there are people who haven't taken these classes before or people who come from places where they're not privileged enough to have certain classes like computer science, which especially in C's, it's like they just expect that you know how to program already or something and you're or have like random assignments in your art of engineering class that require programming knowledge for some reason. So they just a lot of the classes I've noticed have just have these assumptions about this type of student you are. And I just don't feel like that's right because when you have such a diverse background of students coming in, you should ex- expect that there are going to be people who don't, who didn't have the resources to have the knowledge that other people do have. And that's like what I felt. Um, there are so many midterms. You still have a lot of work to do. And I'm just like, when am I going to get to experience the great things that Columbia has to offer other than like academics? And I noticed that, like, I wasn't able to join a lot of clubs because I just don't have time for them because I'm just always working. You have all these recitation sections to go to for all of your classes because they're these big lecture halls, even though, like, they boasted about their small class sizes. But as a first-year engineering student, you don't get to see that. And um, you just don't have time to be yourself. And as I said, I'm an artist, but I don't think I've touched anything relating to my artwork since I've been here and I've stopped making money from selling off selling my artwork because I don't have any artwork to sell because there's just no time to actually do it. I tried maybe like if there was something forcing me to like work on my art, like if I was taking an art class, then I'd be able to focus on it. But I'm not even allowed to really take an art class from I mean, what I'm hearing when I first I came in, met my advisor and she just said that it might not be possible for you to take an art class. Or you can take an art class, but you're not going to get credit for it towards your major, and then you're going to be behind. And it was just, I felt really unhappy about all of that. And I felt like there's something that the school can do about it, because I know I'm not the only person feeling this way. Because, I I mean, I was just with a group of my friends, and we're planning our schedule for next semester, and everybody feels the same way. They're just like, when am I actually supposed to take all these credits I have a lot of pre-med friends who are also into engineering school too and they're just like when is this when am I gonna have time to breathe and that's just I know I'm not the only person feeling that way and I feel like there's so much more that could be done and it, it takes a lot it takes a toll on you especially as a new student um you feel like maybe there's could have been something that would make you feel more welcomed and it just doesn't feel that way at all. You're just sort of like dropped out of an airplane without a parachute. So that's Angel, and here's Prem. My name is Prem Tucker. On campus, I'm involved in student council. I'm a co-op leader. I lead the BOP trip, so the biking trip, which takes incoming first-year students on like a four-day biking and camping trip um, in upstate New York. And then I'm also a tour guide on campus, and then I'm also involved in the mental health task force. Yeah, I spoke to a few of my friends about 
speaking to the mental health task force, mm-hmm. and they were confused as to whether they were students or administrators. Um, and I, yeah. think, I think the point is that they're students, but what's the relationship between the organization and the university? Sure. Okay. So one advantage is that the people that have been involved in the past and some of us currently are in student council. So that means we do have a relationship with administrators on a personal level, but more as a whole since this task force from its origins has that relationship because it used to be just student council driven. That relationship is pretty much ingrained in the mental health task force. So a lot of these administrators are used to like, oh yeah, like I'm going to be meeting with the mental health task force like this day. And that's just a more normal thing for them. So that's kind of what our relationship is like. And that's a big advantage for us because I know there's a lot of student groups on campus that have really important conversations about mental health. Um, But for us, it's nice because we have the conversations that really matter and we're very much open to all the students and not just student leaders. But beyond that, we have that next leg to try and convey that information we get up to the next ladder. So what exactly is the Mental Health Task Force? Sure. So it's, it's, a, new, it's a new organization? Right, to a certain extent. So it's, it's been happening, I guess, for years now, um, for a couple of years. Um, again, history, since, yeah. since I joined as of this year, I'm not like fully immersed in the history. Right. <laughs> but to my knowledge, it's, you know, it's existed as this sort of task force that's been sort of a leg of student council. You know, different senators, different representatives have been serving on it and, you know, working with administrators just to focus on mental health. Um, just because, you know, like within student council, there's a lot of different things we focus on in terms of policy. So this task force was created to really focus in on poli- uh, mental health policy. Um, and, you know, in the past, a lot of the work they've done has, has been, you know, more, more like behind the scenes work for policies that maybe aren't always, you know, seen on the, like the forefront of the student side. Um, but a lot of it that they've done in the past has also been, you know, town hall conversations. Um, but in terms of this year, again, like the big shift is that emphasizing, because I know I mentioned this earlier, that there's a lot of confusion as to whether it's built off of administrators or off of students, and that it is built off of students, and that it's not just a student conversation group, but an actual student policy group that's open to anyone. So that's like kind of like the trajectory of the group, where it started off as more, you know, student council organization, but now it's something that we want all the students to partake in actively. So I want to kind of transition to the other side now and talk about, well, first turnout, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you're, you're trying to take the sentiment of the student body and present it to the administration. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of what has your turnout been like, right? The town hall, um, you know, how many people do you think were there? Uh, you guys had like an anonymous viewing mm-hmm. online. Right. Um, what was the turnout there? Um, yeah. Okay, so for this town hall, um, given the circumstances that, for one, it was during, right in the middle of midterm season, um, I had quite a few classmates, including myself, that had like a midterm exam the next day. Um, We were also just reeling with, you know, this awful, awful, terrible, you know, loss of our own classmate. It was just, it's, this is something you, you know, you kind of talked about a bit as well. It's hard to be able to go to this setting and speak in the first place. And then having those two factors just makes it all more intimidating and scary. Um, but given those circumstances, you know, we had a decent turnout about like 15, 20 people in the room. Um, but then online on Facebook, and you know, this is hard to tell because, you know, sometimes people are clicking through the video, but you know, the Columbia Spectator, our news, our school's newspaper was live streaming it. And there was, Almost 2,000 people that viewed this, like, the live stream, whether that was, you know, 30 seconds or the whole 45, 50 minutes, or I guess two hours, rather. Um, 
you know, I don't know, but, you know, the fact that people are at least clicking through means something. Um, so, you know, and I mean, to speak to like the actual conversation within the turnout, you know, we spoke the full two hours, like there's no lulls and silence. I mean, if anyone wants to like look at the actual town hall and listen, it was really just back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, so many points came up and then we had an anonymous form that, um, you know, both parents and students were submitting information to and questions and topics. Um, we had one student who, she submitted this super, you know, meaningful, just off your chest kind of, you know, rant about, you know, what she's been dealing with. And there was a lot of things that even I related to when I was reading it. Um, and I was like, man, this is just, this is really powerful. And I was like, I'm so glad, you know, she felt confident. She was confident enough to put her name in. She's like, I want my name in here. I want people to know how I feel. And, you know, we started talking about it. And I think it was 10 minutes later, you know, this girl walks in. And she sits down and says, oh, like, good, another, you know, another person came to talk. You know, that's great. And she raised her hand. She's like, you know, that long paragraph that I just, that was just, that was me. And, was just, <laughs> and you know, the whole room just exploded with energy because that was, it was really powerful to see someone not just, you know, put their name on an anonymous form and, you know, speak her truth, but then take the time to leave her dorm and, you know, late, it was like 9 p.m. at that point, I think, give or take, go all the way from her dorm to like, you know, this room, this town hall room where she didn't have to go, like she already expressed her thoughts, but she wanted to be there in that conversation. And I think that was just a really powerful moment that I think a lot of students could probably relate to and maybe like hopefully inspire them to also join these conversations just to see that, you know, I think this is another thing you said in the town hall, Beagle, actually, that, you know, these aren't unusual things that we're feeling. These are very common experiences that a lot of students have. And that was, that was just one really powerful moment for me that I'll take away from that town hall. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad and thankful that she was strong enough to do that. So, I mean, within the town hall, there was a lot of things brought up. Um, you know, issues with advisors and mm -hmm. administration, like we talked about. Yeah. Um, but I kind of want to focus more on the person who needs help. Right. Yeah. And so, like you just said, you had 15 or 20 people in the room mm -hmm. and tons of people who, even if they just watched for 20 seconds or something, they, they demonstrated interest. Right. And, you know, why do you think it's so hard for people who, who suffer from these things? And it's not even, it can be a point where it's just like an insecurity. Right. It's not necessarily even suffering. Right. Um, you know, how or why is it so hard for those people to actually come? You yeah. Know? Yeah. I think, you know, some of it could be, like, apathy, indifference at this point, and just, like, you know, like, it's just how this is going to be, like, like, as you said, Columbia just doesn't care about me. Some of it, too, is just how schedule-oriented we are in terms of I have X, Y, and Z to do. Do I really want to do this other thing? Like, yeah, it's important, but, I mean, it might just be counterproductive. Like, yeah, I'm going to talk about mental health, but then I'm just going to be stressing about these other things, which is, you know, just, like, another like institutional problem we can try to address and you know there's a variety of things we talked about in the town hall that like could potentially address that but like besides the point like there's those sort of like academic stretch like columbia things that like come to mind but even like like i said earlier just like being vulnerable is a hard thing naturally and i think some of that you know discrepancy between going and watching is that i think that's some of that too like being able to go into a room and even just listen, not even necessarily talk, but just hear things that, you know, might be similarly frustrating or similarly triggering to you is a lot um, when you're already dealing with other things in the first place. 
And then to speak is just a whole nother thing. Um, cause there was a lot of personal things shared, um, at this, um, town hall. So I think some of it can be that, but I think, you know, having people like that student that came and showing her truth and expressing her truth and taking that time to go out, I think is just a really good sort of like role model for those students that maybe feel that, um, just because with anything like this too, it's like, it starts with one event, you know what I mean? Um, and I think it's on us to really show that this isn't just like, you know, something we're doing to fulfill our mental health task force sort of role on campus that we just have one town hall and then like work into policy and then done. Like this needs to be something that we, we ourselves continue to show up to, whether it's 15 people or 150 people that go, like we need to at least show that we're investing ourselves in this, that we care about this. And whether or not you're coming, we're going to be talking about it and we want you to be there. Because I think that's something people will always appreciate is seeing, like, not just effort, but invested effort by someone that, like, you're really showing that you care about something. Um, so, like, at the very end of the day, like, in terms of boosting turnout and what we can see the, to the future and, like, whether this discrepancy will stay or not, I'm not sure. But I think those two things, seeing people like that step out of their comfort zone and break that sort of barrier of, like, whether it's logistical, sort of like, ah, I don't need to go, or, like, I have other things to do, or more, like, internal sort of struggles that you might have. I think seeing that is really helpful. And then having us continue to invest and continue to show up and continue to have these are both really important for that. I think people feel a lot of isolation. Like, they're, um, like, like we said, you know, they worry or they don't talk about how they're feeling because mm-hmm. they feel like no one else does. And I actually came to the town hall just to listen. Yeah. You know, because I knew actually I was meeting with you yeah. later on. Right. For this. But I found myself actually being like, wait, I can right. I can identify with that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I actually found You myself, spoke up I, quite a I, bit. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually found myself being like, wait, you know, I actually have a lot of, you know, mutuality here. Yeah. But um Annoy found some research and it kind of scientifically explains um mm-hmm. this phenomenon as well. If you want to bring that up. Yeah, there's this model for depression that's been around for a very long time, Mm -hmm. since 1975, Mm -hmm. and it's called learned helplessness. And the idea Mm -hmm. is that with lab animals, you can present some sort of painful stimulus, Mm -hmm. like you can poke an animal with something, right, painfully. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you do it enough times, the animal will accept, and if you, like, let's say you strain the animal so it can't run away, Mm -hmm. it'll accept that, like you said earlier, like the current things I'm dealing with, that's my reality. And so these animals will be like, let's say they're held down and they're poked with something for a while, they'll accept it, and you can put them in a situation when they can escape from the, the painful stimulus, and they won't. They won't do anything. Hmm. Um, in the, and so that's been on for a long time. But recently, they've been doing neural recordings and looking at the actual brain uh, patterns. And they found the patterns in the animals are similar to humans who have depression. Um, and the reason why I think this is interesting is we're talking about how do we reach people who feel like they can't participate or they feel like they're not able to do anything, right? Which is a very common symptom. Right. Um, and I don't know the answer to that question. I think that's an important question for the task force moving right. forward. Um, but one thing that the researchers found, it's very weird, is that the only way they could get the animals to run away is if they had a researcher hold the animal and hold its legs and make the legs move, and eventually the animal could restart and then move again. Hmm. Um, in a way, and, and what I think is really important is that like the community, I think, has an enormous role to play in yeah. helping people 
um, be a part of this. And like you said, coming to these events, Prem, Prem I'm sure you're, I don't know what your situation is with your mental health, but let's say you don't really, really need it the same way that other people do. Mm-hmm. People like you or people like me or anyone else going and making an effort to go and saying, hey, like, come with me to this event. That's that active step when other people can't be active, when they're dealing with things that prevent them from being someone who takes advantage of resources because they're dealing with this or right. problem. You doing that for them is the way the community can help. And I think that's one fascinating thing that may help um, people moving forward and thinking about this problem. Not like we're going to offer CPS, offer a bunch of resources for people. But if they're not right. able to take advantage of right. resources, how do we still effectively deal with this problem? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like after right, the recent suicide, my advisor sent me an email. I mean, it was definitely like a general email probably mm-hmm. to all of her advisors. But it was just, how are you feeling? You know, and it prompted a response. And I think the key here is this kind of individual reaching out. You know, with advice, I think RAs can play a huge role in yeah. this. This idea, right? Though you have connect meetings once a semester right. or, or events where you can go off campus, um, just every you know couple of weeks, you know, just send out an email. Hey, I'm here, because then you kind of get these more personal dynamics. And when you send out a group email it's very easy to just not respond. I think that's right, yeah. And, like, at CPS, we saw that op-ed where, you know, you can make an appointment for three weeks in advance, which is the earliest you can do for some people, and then it's very easy to just cancel. And when you kind of have this uh, personal relationship where it's very hard for the person to say, no, I can't go, then you kind of get this migration over, like you were saying, to uh, these events to learn more just kind of understand that you're not actually alone feeling the way you feel so that's episode two and to end this episode i'd like to share a sample from my roommate's band patches it was started by my roommate austin horn and his friend andrew sobelson and we hope you enjoy
Thank you.